Welcome to the Strength in Numbers podcast, where we have passion for starting conversations about the Enneagram and team building to help you understand people. I'm Jalan. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Jordan. And today we are interviewing Michaela. She is a good friend of ours here in Nashville, and we can't wait to get to know her. So Michaela, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are in the world and what you do and what's going on. Awesome. Well, my name is Michaela. Um, I just moved here to Nashville four or five months ago from Northern California, so a long way. And I work remotely for an accounting firm, an an accounting firm. And I'm an administrative assistant. I work on administrative projects, tax workflow procedures, stuff like that. And then I just started as an executive assistant for a um, woman who owns a production company with her husband here in Nashville. Um, so doing some executive assistant work too. And I'm a type one. So how did you come by the Enneagram? Um, I think the first time I came across it was beginning of college, probably sophomore year, um, just kind of being within, you know, the campus crusade groups and my roommates. And, you know, I heard back, I heard the, about the book, The Road Back to You, um, and heard it at church and just kind of got really invested in it. I also studied um, business management and HR. So we did a lot of classes on like organizational behavior and, you know, personality, building teams, things like that. So I got really into discovering who I was and taking personality tests. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I kind of did that, decided to take the actual test and read parts of The Road Back to You and just immediately knew that I was a one. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Do you remember? Um, I don't remember exactly when I first learned what stuck out to me, but I think the biggest part of it, because one of my other one of my roommates in college was a one as well, and we just kind of immediately were like, "Yes, we are ones," because we love it's black and white. Things are right, they're wrong. You do them if they're right. You don't do them if they're wrong. <laughs> That was just really clear. And I was like, yes, I resonate with that. And it was like, if I do something wrong, that's not okay. So, or at least, you know, my inner critic tells me that. So um, as soon as I discovered that about ones, I was like, yes, I am a one. I'm very hard on myself. It's black and white. Things are gray areas hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) The concept, the one's inner critic is very interesting to me because I don't have one of those. So (laughs) I think it's so interesting learning about how you manage that. So tell me. That sounds sounds (laughs) stress-free. Well, I think the way that I manage it a lot of times is discovering more about my type. It's made me really kind of take control of what I desire in how I function in life. Um, so I handle my inner critic mostly by telling myself that it's okay, that I don't have to be the perfect type of this. I don't have to be completely right about a certain situation. Um, I don't have to be perfect at whatever task I do. So just kind of knowing that my inner critic is stronger than any other human critic could ever be mm. is just kind of relieving a lot of stress in my life to just say like, okay, like I am so much harder on myself than other people are hard on me. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how I manage that. 
it, it would seem to me that learning how to manage that inner critic would be just like huge in your personal growth mm-hmm. to, you know, that it can be a really good thing because you are, it's like that innate knowing of what you're supposed to do or what's right and wrong, but also then it can just become so almost berating and, mm-hmm. you know, so if you can learn how to use it, you're, it sounds like you're learning how to use it for your benefit and not mm-hmm. just be condemned by it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, personal growth too, but like towards other people as well. I mean, I am teaching myself that it's okay when other people make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if other people make a mistake that somehow impacts me, it's okay. Or even <laughs> impacts them. Yes. It, it, it's just so freeing to know that humans in general can make mistakes when my brain like intentionally (laughs) is just so against that and it doesn't it doesn't inherently Mm -hmm. settle with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so how has that helped you in other than you know knowing that they're not that it's okay that they're wrong Mm-hmm. Other that aspect of it that you know somebody made a mistake how has that helped your relationships oh greatly um <laughs> I think growing up I had so much resentment anytime anyone made a mistake because you know whether it affected me or not just because I knew I could do it better or I could you know mm-hmm. I I could correct them or whatever that was and it was just kind of resentment toward just wrongdoing. I mean, whether it was slipping up at your words and saying the wrong word, or, you know, you're talking about some place that you visited on vacation. And then, you know, I've been there too. And then I'm like, Oh, they're not talking about the right thing or whatever it is. Mm. And I had so much like involuntary uh, resentment towards people just to be like, you're wrong. That's not right. And (laughs) I can fix that or I could do it better or whatever it's, whatever it is. So I mean, I have so much more grace for myself as well as other people. And I tell myself, like, I would want that grace. I would want, if I slipped up and made a mistake, I would want to not be judged by it. So I think my relationship with people has definitely, definitely improved with a, with less resentment, less frustration with how other people live their lives um, and kind of just giving people freedom to be themselves um, because I love being myself as well. And I don't want that judgment. So I think just kind of seeing it from their perspective, understanding my perspective, how that impacts the way I see things and giving them grace for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was um, kind of along that same inner critic uh, in um, along those lines, was that something that, you could have labeled before the Enneagram or was that like reading about the one having the inner critic? Was that kind of like, Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I had no idea. Like, obviously I had, you, you hear of an inner critic and what, you know, I just, that term really stuck out to me when I discovered the Enneagram because I was like, yes, like I have this voice in my head that is me <laughs> telling myself that things are wrong or things like, oh, this is the best way to do it or whatever. So yeah, I, I, I definitely discovered it when I discovered the Enneagram. And prior to that, 
again, it more just manifested itself in frustration. I didn't know why I was getting angry about things. Why, if I made a mistake, I was just so upset. Um, or why if someone else made a mistake, I was so upset. So I think just kind of being able to identify it as an inner critic and that kind of like what I said before, but your inner critic is literally just that is a critic within you. That is you telling yourself things and it's way harder than any external critic external. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, no, I, I had no idea that it was my inner critic before I just discovered the Enneagram, but I've heard of ones like finding out about the inner critic and like the biggest like like brain yes. thing like happens for them because they're like other people don't like it's not the <laughs> fact that they do it's yes like, that's it's so true that other people like live a life without a <laughs> yes like when Jordan said she doesn't have an inner critic I was like what what does that yeah. feel like I have no idea yeah. I'm constantly judging whether I whether I'm doing the right thing or not every decision of my day yeah yeah so okay so like you're you're kind of like pulling on how you're connected with like the anger kind of like center <laughs> yeah the gut center but um do you okay so a one goes to a four when they're mm-hmm. um like in stress mm-hmm. or in like an unhealthy state do you notice like and then they go to a seven in health mm-hmm. So do you notice ways that you like pull from both of those numbers? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, my anger, <laughs> my anger manifests itself in drama. <laughs> I, I am a drama queen when I am stressed. <laughs> so I complain a lot and I am just so, I mean. Things can't be fixed. Things can't be fixed. And I'm just, it's one of those things where you like sit when you're like sitting in the car and it's raining and you're like staring out the window (laughs) trying to be dramatic about this vision that's me I whenever I am in stress I just immediately go to like oh my gosh how can I be the most dramatic as possible and how can I get all of these emotions out um so so yeah I I get in these these little these little ruts (laughs) in that in that drama though is it a somewhat controlled anger yeah like do you feel like you're being consumed by the feelings and the emotions yes or do you feel like you're you're in charge of the drama I to an so it's it's a process I feel like the beginning I am overwhelmed um and I'm being consumed by it and it's a lot of like I I often find the urge to blast aggressive punk rock music (laughs) or punch a pillow or something so I'm usually like overwhelmed by this rage if something is really not going my way um and then as soon as I start to take those steps to like release that anger release that drama release those emotions then I start to feel more control of it because then I can kind of sort out in my brain and again that's how ones work I literally categorize things all the time so I I just kind of, you know, sort of, okay, I feel this way because of this and I can do this to ease myself of that. So it's a process beginning. I'm overwhelmed and I'm consumed and I don't know what to do. And then as I slowly start to take those steps to like vent, (laughs) then it's, it's easier for me to categorize and take control of it and kind of prioritize what my next steps are. Do you need people 
to be involved in that? Or do you journal? Like, are you able to get it out on paper or do you have to have a listening ear? I need to have another person. That's also just my extroverted side. I, if I am bottled up by myself, I just, I'm reeling and I'm, yes, I'm so anxious and I am so, I just don't know what to do with myself. And again, like my mind is reeling and I'm just spinning constantly. So for me, verbalizing it is really, really helpful. Um, and that's also because I'm talkative and social and extroverted. Um, but yeah, I definitely need other people to help me do that. Um, because again, when I'm with myself and it's also, that's part of the inner critic. I mean, I am, if I'm by myself sorting something out, my inner critic is telling me what is right and wrong about how I'm doing it or you know, am I getting the best result? When I talk to other people and I process it verbally, it's more just reassurance that my, my inner critic is way more, way more judgmental and strict about everything that's going on. They can kind of talk you down. Yes, definitely talking me down um, and keeping me out of the drama <laughs> of my own brain. So, yeah. So in your, in your punk rock blasting, <laughs> pillow hitting, is that with people or is that by yourself? That's usually the first stages. So it's usually yeah. by myself. Okay. I love how we are just parsing this out. That's usually, yeah, that's usually by myself. But then it helps release the initial rage. Uh-huh. And then as soon as that happens, then I seek friends. Then I seek people to talk to uh-huh. because then it actually helps me sort it out. So again, the punk rock music helps to an extent. Um, but after that, I really need to verbalize and I need to not be in my own head. So I just look it up. The one's deadly sin is anger. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it they're is. in the anger triad. I knew that. It's, resen- it's like resentment. Uh-huh. Resentment is mm-hmm. the actual like the um one of uh, one that I know very well, their favorite phrases, and they do they go like this. Yes. That makes me so angry. And, and it just it's like you're you are definitely in the anger triad and and I um, if that if that gives you any clarity so, so what about like connecting to the seven how does that present itself for you I connect really well with sevens because they're so carefree um and it's so much of like like let's move on to the next happy thing like like ignore the ignore what's stressing you let's just go do the next fun thing let's go live life have fun laugh do whatever do you find yourself like presenting those qualities when you're in a more like grounded and healthy yes for sure um and that's a lot of people tell me that I'm really confident that I'm really carefree and I told a friend recently that it, I do that because I'm forcing myself out of my own head. Like if I put on this persona it not necessarily in a bad way, but if I put on this persona of being carefree and being confident, it actually generates inside of me. So then I'm like, okay, I am carefree and confident. I can be carefree and confident if I get out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I, I definitely embody the the live life to the fullest part of the seven um in the people people yes and yes and it's just kind of like I said it, it like you said it pulls me out of whatever my brain is telling me um and it gets me kind of into just like enjoying the moment being present 
surrounding myself with people, laughter, fun, go with the flow, the good things. Yes. And I'm so much more relaxed and stress-free when I am going with the flow and I am not drilling down on little details. And that's, what's funny is a lot of people say that, you know, that they're surprised sometimes that I'm a one because I don't like, I'm not good at keeping a schedule. I don't schedule out friend hangout time. I don't, I was just telling my roommates earlier that I, I don't like scheduling thing month, things months in advance. I usually will just like keep it on my radar and go with the flow because I don't want to set those expectations. I don't want to like set myself up to be angry about Anything. the way something should be or what I'm expecting it to be. So that's an interesting phrase. Yes. It's weird because I have to go against my natural instinct to make myself less stressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm more relaxed when I kind of go with the flow and that's the seven side that comes uh-huh. out. I like to even, but um, the fact that you're saying that so that you won't get angry. Yes. <laughs> is like, I'm thinking, you know, most sevens would probably say, well, I don't want to schedule anything because what if something better comes along? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I might, I might miss something more fun, Yeah, but that. Um, yeah. For me, it's more like, I don't want to set up the expectation and then be angry or frustrated or upset when it turns out differently. Uh-huh. Very or people, you know, bail on plans or whatever that looks like. I resentment comes out a lot of the times when I'm uh-huh. when I'm too organized. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I make no plans and then I'm never upset about things changing. Integrating <laughs> or disintegrating here? Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a characteristic of both seven and four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Has understanding those stress and growth paths, has that been helpful to, oh, yeah. to um, access, say, the seven more or understand or even access the four more? Under- yeah, definitely. I think knowing what it looks like to be, to show the positive parts of a seven, because also when I first learned the Enneagram, I kind of just thought like, oh, you embody like the seven everything when Mm -hmm. you're in um whereas it's more like you embody the healthy parts um whereas the four i embody the negative parts i embody the the stressful yeah yeah the drama and even (laughs) still you're always a one yes you're gonna be a a one that looks seven ish yes Um, but you're gonna be a one yes and knowing what they look like has been really helpful in like knowing where i am so before, again, like I said, I didn't know what my inner critic was. I just knew that I had these feelings Uh and I was just so, I would be so frustrated or like all of a sudden I'd be in a great mood and just, you know, living presently and enjoying life. And as soon as I realized like, okay, that means I'm in a healthy spot or that means I'm in a not so healthy spot. Um, so kind of just figuring out like, okay, what is causing me to be in this not healthy spot? What is causing me to be in this healthy spot? So identifying that has been really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. That's good. Where do you find yourself using the Enneagram most? Do you, are you, do you use it in your work, even though you're working virtually or is it more in your personal life or ministry side of your life or? 
Um, I think the, the place that I use it, honestly, everywhere I, I'm, I talk about the Enneagram all the time, but, (laughs) um, I think the place that I see it most prevalent is in my social life and ministry work, just understanding like the lens that I see life through, um, and helping me relate to other people, um, or not even relate, but just understand where they're coming from too. So kind of taking a step out of myself and doing a little bit of self-assessment helps me better understand the world and helps me better understand people. So it helps me better connect with them, helps me understand, even if we're completely different and we disagree on a lot of things, I have a healthier mindset now than I did just a handful of years ago about why they're that way. I mean, my relationship with my parents is so much better because of that. My relationship with my sister, my relationship with my brother, other family members, friends, possibly enemies. I don't know if I have enemies, but people that I disagree with, I I find myself just being more at peace with us just being human and we're all different and we have these different lenses on life, perspectives. Um, so I give myself and the world more grace. So it's definitely... It's definitely helpful that way. And I mean, it humbles myself too, because as soon as I assess myself and really dig down of like, why do I feel this way? Why am I, you know, why am I pushing this emotion onto these other people? It humbles me in a way that like forces me (laughs) to need God's grace too. So just to know that I am not the reason for the way that I am doing things but that like, I need, I need God's grace to extend grace to everyone else. Mm. Have you heard, and myself. <laughs> have you heard the sleeping at last song one? Yes. <laughs> that just reminds me of that. There's a line in there. It says grace mm-hmm. requires nothing of me. Mm-hmm. Yes. I listen to that song often. <laughs> it's on my worship really podcast. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our podcast playlist. That line grace requires nothing of me. I wanted to write it on everything. I would get it tattooed on my body. I would get it written on the wall. I would do whatever, but I, that really resonates with me because again, with being a one, I don't, I don't need to do anything to get Mm -hmm. that grace. Um, and just in that way, like other people don't need to do it. Other people shouldn't need to do things to get my grace. Other people shouldn't need to do things to get God's grace. So it's just very freeing in that way. And my relationships have greatly improved. Um, just kind of knowing that we all need God's grace mm-hmm. to uh-huh. interact with each other and to survive as different human beings. In your relationships, do, do many of them uh, know about the Enneagram as well? Like, are you able to work on relationships relating to that or... Or is it mostly working on it through your through your own personal knowledge? It depends what what areas of my life, what um, I guess realms of <laughs> relationship it is. Um, my friends, especially like here in Nashville, I feel like we talk about it all the time, um, and people are very knowledgeable about it, or they've at least heard of it, and they've kind of discovered what their own type is. So I would say with friends. Um, Friends that are my age um, usually, or church organizations usually are aware of it. And those are really just honest communication about it because everyone, you know, you know your type and you kind of understand the process of self-assessing. 
When it comes to my family, no. Um, my mom has taken the test, I think, and my sister knows about it, but I would be really interested to kind of have that conversation with my family. And I mean, I can type people as much as I want, but for them to have that self-assessment too, it would be really interesting. So within my friend circles, yes. Um, colleagues and family, probably not. I don't, I don't have that much of conversation, which could be, I mean, my siblings and I had so much trouble communicating up until like a handful of years ago. Uh, I mean, we are adults now, so it does make it a little bit easier, but if we had kind of conversations based on like, okay, who are we as people and why yeah. do we approach it this way? I think it could be so much healthier. So um, that is actually a goal of mine to get my family to kind of just at least try to discover who they are, why we all look at things these ways. Um, and it's a lot of it is comes from the people who brought you up. So, I mean, yeah. I am a one because I'm pretty sure my father's a one. So I, it, it'd just be really interesting. And I think that it could be extremely helpful in building those adult relationships. Yeah. With my family. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So how do you, how, how do you use the Enneagram in your work? If, um, if it isn't necessarily a conversation specific mm -hmm. to that, how is it helping you at your work? I think with, with work, it is mostly through how I interact with, with others um, and how I hand, <laughs> here we go again, but how I handle the frustration of a work environment. So if I'm, you know, if I'm not getting what I need to do a task because it's supposed to be coming from somebody else, kind of giving that grace and understanding like, okay, mm -hmm. It, their brain functions very differently than mine. Mm -hmm. um, or kind of a lot of the way that I interact with people, I love to give compliments and I love to encourage and support. And I think sometimes that comes across as me telling them what to do or telling them like be better or whatever that looks like. Um, and sometimes it looks like fake like forced, I guess, forced encouragement, forced compliments, um, because I'm trying to suppress what my brain is telling me I'm doing wrong, if that makes sense. Um, so if someone does something and I'm like, wow, that's really good. It might be because I, I wish I could have done it that well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think kind of in both directions, like not feeling resentful when something isn't done the way I would do it, but it still gets done in a great way. Um, or the opposite is encouraging without, without it coming from a selfish point, without it coming from like a, oh my gosh, I wish I could have done that because you did it so much better than I could have. Um, so I guess if that makes any sense, just kind of, I don't, Often with the, you know, the handful of years that I've been working full-time out of school, I don't, I don't often have conversations like that with coworkers. Um, but it's again, the self-assessment, understanding where I stand so that, so that I can kind of take it step by step, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely, I mean, working in college was different too. Working, working with other students you're kind of all on the same page, at least life-wise. Um, and so I did have 
some Enneagram, and that was when I first discovered the Enneagram too. So I did have some of those conversations with like college coworkers, um, but out of college, just the span of generations, the span of religious views, lifestyles. Um, I don't have those conversations, but it's mostly just how I, how I go about building those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that we've talked about before that I would love to hear you like share Mm -hmm. again, is kind of like how easy it is for like a one and other types too. And I think kind of human nature to have um, like to be disappointed because of expectations that we have. Like, and I think for ones especially, they have high expectations because I mean, they live up to their high expectations too. Like they have very high standards that they, they work towards and they live up to. And because of that, they're like, they have these standards that that they expect of people around them, mm-hmm. that they expect of God, that mm-hmm. they expect, and it's and it's not a bad thing to have like high standards and high expectations, but when they become like so specific mm-hmm. and rigid and like black and white, mm-hmm. like how do you manage disappointment? How do you manage like your expectations to the point where you're not, yeah, like facing resentment you're not Mm -hmm. facing like confusion because things didn't turn out the way that you planned Mm -hmm. or yeah Yeah. what what is that I mean in all honesty kind of like what I said before I try not to set expectations at all like at this point in my life I'm just again I don't schedule things I don't and not even just scheduling but even if I get something an idea in my head of an event if I say like I'm gonna host this party and it's this big idea in my head. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't go exactly the way that I planned it. The decorations aren't exactly right. Or that's yeah. why being a wedding planner would be so hard for me. Um, idealistic. I am so point. idealistic. Yeah. Yes. And one of my strengths from like the strengths finder is futuristic. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my expectations are put in like what I see in the future. Mm-hmm. So if I, it's an event or it's a relationship and I'm like, I want to be like this close with this person and I want to have these conversations. But then if we don't have those conversations, then I'm so like, oh my gosh, why? I didn't do that right. Like we didn't get to that point in our relationship. Um, Yeah. And I think the way I handle it right now, at least, and I think there's a lot of growth um, possible for this area, but I just don't, I try not to set expectations. I try to tell myself to go with the flow and be present because if I set those expectations and I have this idea in my head, then I do tend to get disappointed. No, but I think that's good because I think your like natural reaction without even thinking about it, without any type of like Mm self-awareness is to start setting expectations. Like Mm -hmm. it happens unconsciously. Mm -hmm. You start setting them, you Mm -hmm. start having standards. And so like recognize, oh, I have these expectations. I have these standards and I need to like actively remind myself Mm -hmm. to have an open heart Mm -hmm. and to like, yes, do things excellently, do things well, mm-hmm. and like expect that other people like should want to do the same thing, but also like yeah. have an open heart about like what that could look like. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me in, in the, the one chapter of the road back to you was one of the people that he referenced said that that's part of that's ministry is ex- 
I mean, her point of view was the best part about it for her as a one is that she gets to encourage people to bring their best self every day mm-hmm. and want to be their best self. Mm-hmm. And I, that's exactly what I want for the world. I want everyone to do the best that they can, but the struggle that is inherently as a one is that it looks different. So the best version of myself might be very different from the best version of somebody else's, or we might get to the same point, but it gets, you get there differently. Yeah. Or what um, you see as the best version of someone else. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yes. So I could be like, you know, you can do more, you can do more, but I, they might feel that that is, that is their best. And so it's hard because again, my inner critic is like, sets this bar instead of, instead of like assessing the journey. Mm. (laughs) So it's, it's, yeah, it's again, the expectation of the end result instead of how we get there. Mm -hmm. Or if it gets to a different point, it's also okay. Yeah. And (laughs) there is no end goal, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And not even just like sucking it up through the process, but like enjoying your life through the middle. Cause like, that's what our entire life is, is a process. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. we never really do reach yeah. like this point where we're like, okay, all of the expectations yeah. have been met. And exactly. how boring would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and then you had another day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's very, very true. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think like so much, and it's really hard because I feel like a lot of that too was drilled into me as a kid. Like, I think we talked about this, but I was a good student. I like always got A's and I always was like, okay, if I get A's, then this will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. And then it was like each next step. Um, and it just kept becoming a new end goal, a new end goal, a new Mm -hmm. end goal. And every time I achieved it, it was like, all right, awesome. Next step. Like let's go on to the next thing. That's the best. Um, and you know, whether that was like being the best at the sports that I played, getting the best grades, getting into the greatest schools, which I didn't really care for (laughs) because I knew where I wanted to go, but just things like that, or like, you know, I wanted to move to a really cool city and I really wanted to get this cool job that would just like look really cool and be really cool. And so much of it was just like, why, why are we taught to just like, it's great to have goals, but it's just so. The hamster wheel. It is. because It's never ending. It's so detrimental to a young adolescent's state of mind to just be like, what is the next thing? Let's keep going, keep going, keep striving, keep striving. It's always great to keep striving, but not for the end goal to like keep striving for the, wherever you are in that moment. Mm -hmm. So for the fun of it, for the learning opportunity. Yes. And so, yes. (laughs) And so much of my life has changed because of that, because I think, you know, if I ever get fired from a job, that's a learning opportunity. I will go on to the next thing my world, my world will not end. My life will not end. If I make a mistake, if I don't get the next best thing, if I, you know, am not, you know, like you said, if, if I'm not like completely satisfied because that's never, that's never going to be the case. I'm never going to be like, all right, I've completed it all. I've made it. I've done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's relieved a lot of um, anxiety in my future planning, in the way I live my life day to day. So has how does anxiety manifest itself in your life? Like, does it, is it a lot of racing thoughts? Is it like body tension? Like what is anxiety to you? Um, 
I, I think I would say anxiety to me feels a lot like frustration, um, which again is exactly, <laughs> that is the emotion that is my initial reaction. Um, so anxiety for me is like, I get frustrated if, if I can't do something. So then my heart is beating because I'm like, I can't do this right. I can't do it right. Like I, it's not going the way that I wanted it or expected it to go. Um, so it's, it's mostly just like a gut and heart feeling. Mm -hmm. It's less like my mind isn't racing. My, my mind reels in different ways, but I can still, and we've talked about this because you have trouble sleeping because your mind is reeling. I don't necessarily have that because I have, I have like this point where I can, I just turn off because I like, I can't handle it anymore but I have like a gut and heart feeling that is like, Mm -hmm. I feel heavy and I feel frustrated and I feel like I'm going to explode. It's like, is it like a lack of control kind of a thing? Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it it becomes, it does, you know, the feeling that you were saying when you clench your fists and (laughs) shake, because that is exactly what anxiety feels to me is like, I don't have control. So I just want to ball up and, grasp whatever I can um or just release it all and start over so yeah I think anxiety for me is mostly manifested in frustration um and like frustrated stress (laughs) like Mm -hmm. not yeah it's a gut feeling Mm -hmm. definitely a Mm -hmm. definitely a gut feeling Mm -hmm. surprise surprise (laughs) being that you're in that gut triad yeah caitlin how do you feel about being surrounded by the gut triad right now we've got (laughs) a eight nine and one i love this and this is like i think i feel grounded i feel I don't know what I feel. You guys tell me. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, I um I'm so intrigued by like the gut and like instinct kind of like types because I think that's like a three suppresses or suppressors. And so like even though I'm in the heart like center, I think like a a body kind of grounding and like a gut kind of instinct reaction like Jordan and I have talked about is just like I I almost can't relate like I almost I like I don't get that yeah. <laughs> well, and you were telling me like you were about the physical and mental part of it yeah where you're you you struggle with being physically physically aware yeah whereas I am initially physically aware yeah. and very right. like how does my body feel and I'm tense and I am uh-huh. angry and I want to punch something where my mind I can turn my mind off like if I if I have mind reeling mm-hmm. then I'm just like yeah. I, can, I can shut that off mm-hmm. but yours is just all in the mind yeah I can <laughs> I can compartmentalize to get something done for mm-hmm. sure but then once it gets to the point where like everything is done. It's time to sleep at the end of the day. There's no time for that that for you. (laughs) And then, then, yeah. And then it's like, okay, but then I still have these like things I'm sorting out in my Mm -hmm. head that are still not done. Like there's still work happening in my head. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't stop until I have like this 
question figured out or this like event planned or this world problem Mm -hmm. resolved (laughs) do you physically feel at ease when you do like tactile work do you I mean I say this because as a one I do a lot of physical organizing or I'll put away the dishes or I'll sweep or I'll organize my drawers whatever it's very physical organization putting things in Mm -hmm. Do you feel any like ease of that? Yes. Okay. That, but it's not necessary like yes. it is for you. Yes. I feel like. Yeah. I I feel really, I think that's one way where like a one and an eight and a three can like really mm-hmm. understand each other is mm-hmm. like, or being organized, like having things the way that we think they should be and like having mm-hmm. an efficient like environment that makes sense mm-hmm. the way, you know mm-hmm. things in order mm-hmm. but and do you feel more at ease when you have like your mind sorted out yes. rather than like physical things sorted out I but is that ever complete <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing and I that's how I relate with you too is that like I have to remind myself too because we're goal-oriented types mm-hmm. you know we have a task-oriented mind I make to-do lists every day yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> I have to remind myself the same thing like and that's why we've had those conversations mm-hmm. before of like having an open mind having mm-hmm. like expectations enjoying the journey basically mm-hmm. enjoying the journey of like the questions that like the the deeper like philosophical questions that I have not being resolved because I'm a problem solver (laughs) I am I will figure it out I don't really care how long it takes I don't care how much reading it takes I won't sleep I don't need to eat oh I should probably go to the like I have to like remind myself that is the exact opposite (laughs) I can't function mentally well I can't be effective in my life unless my physical is taken care of yes like if I don't have sleep I am yes not good (laughs) and and, um, that can fall lower on the pole like for I let my I let me my taking care of my emotions fall same Mm -hmm. so that's why usually mine gets kept up and then I explode and then I have those punk rock punch pillow kind of moments because (laughs) we handle our anger very differently but (laughs) yes really that's such a big surprise (laughs) (laughs) because for me my like the way that I if I am just like so built up with anxiety frustration and emotion I my first step is to do something that makes me feel like I'm in control whether that's putting away the dishes making my bed organizing my room you know, going to the store to buy that one thing that I told myself I needed to buy a week ago that I didn't buy, but I didn't actually need. I just need to physically do something and cross it off my to-do list before I can even address the mental part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good for me too, though, sometimes Mm is like just to get out of my, my like head space. It's, if I have a task at hand, it's easy for me to get out of my head space and focus on what's more pressing but sometimes it feels like what's on my mind Mm -hmm. is more pressing so like working out or yeah reorganizing my closet or Mm -hmm. whatever can give me that like um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's like interesting to hear how like the ways that we all overlap with one another but hearing the reasons why Mm -hmm. we're doing yeah motivations and that's why I love the Enneagram because you can be so similar to somebody by the way you do something Mm -hmm. right 
but the why is so yeah. different, yes. you know, where it comes from, why you see it that way, mm-hmm. how you see it yeah. differently. Like you're doing the same thing, but behind the scenes, it's so different. Yep. The, the, um, hearing you describe like anxiety mm-hmm. is an, yes. it's, yeah. a, it's, a, a good question. it's rooted in anger, you know, yeah. <laughs> rather than like, if I were to be like experiencing anxiety, it's rooted in like a shame kind of mm-hmm. emotion rather like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not doing this right. Like, it is it is interesting to hear um people describe that especially when you have an idea in your mind of what your answer is Mm -hmm. and then a a different number describes their feeling of it and you're like we were just doing the same word yes we were doing the same action (laughs) but we were like completely feeling different things yes Yeah. yeah That is very interesting. That's a great question. I should start asking people that. <laughs> Describe your anxiety. What's anxiety what is the mean body to you? experience you're having right now? Do you have one? Or is it all in your head? <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I think this has been a really cool conversation. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for having me. Very yeah. helpful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, super helpful for us to understand to hear it from somebody that is living it, it kind of, it just makes it and hear your words makes it so much. Um, like, I feel like I can see it a lot better than just reading about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so to get your perspective on it is really helpful to help me understand. Yeah. Let the light in. That's kind of mm-hmm. literally exactly what I feel like with a one. It's okay to have cracks. It's okay to have disorder because it lets light in mm-hmm. and it lets you discover more. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us for our second episode of our new podcast. We hope that this dive into the type one helped you as much as it helped us. For our next episode, we'll be talking to a type two. We'd love it if you would like and follow us. And if you think you know others who might find this information helpful, please share. Have a great week and don't forget, there's strength in numbers.